0: Hey guys, it's Poppy, and I'm back with episode 5 of Homeschool Weirdos. This episode is going to be sort of a special edition kind of thing. Um, I'm going to do that uh, book thing that I talked about in my last episode. Um, I'm calling it Notes for Nerds. Like, it's a special edition kind of thing that I'm adding to my podcast. Um, so yeah, I'll explain it, and I hope you like it. Also, if you haven't noticed, um, my quality is much better. I got a microphone and headphones, so yeah, it should be a little bit less staticky now. Um, so the idea of this Notes for Nerds thing is that I'm going to go through a certain book and kind of just explain it in my own words to make it simpler to understand. And like, especially if you have something on a test that you would don't understand and of course this isn't just like my opinion i'm going to do research on this as well and um it should be pretty informative and make passages easier to understand um one of the hardest books i have on my shelves right now is frankenstein the 1818 text by mary shelley and i was thinking that i would go through that and kind of just like part by part explain everything that um is being said and all of the hard words because it is so dense I can't even like you have to read it really slowly to understand it so I just I was just thinking maybe putting it in simpler terms would be a pretty helpful idea and my mom says that it's really boring but if you're a book lover or someone who just needs to study maybe you won't find it as boring and a little bit more helpful Beginning the book, you'll just see that it's a bunch of letters written by a man named Robert Walton. Of course, his name is not stated until the end of each letter, so I guess you don't really know that information until you've read at least one of his letters. Um, these letters are fairly long, and honestly, thinking about it, it's like, who has time to write that? But considering that he's on, you know, a boat this entire time, I'm sure he has plenty of free time, um... So I'm going to start with volume one, letter one. It is a letter addressed to Mrs. It is a letter addressed to Mrs. Saville who lives in England. It's written by a man named Robert Walton. So Mrs. Saville is this man's sister and he loves her very much. Um, Walton begins by saying he's okay and reassures her of his welfare. So like, he's okay. He's healthy. Um, just like the best way to start a letter to someone who's far away he also gives a bit of humor saying something that can kind of be read as you'll be happy to hear that i didn't die because you made it very clear you didn't like the idea of this trip (laughs) he says like you will rejoice to hear that no disaster has accompanied the commencement of an enterprise which you have regarded with such evil forebodings so even just that first sentence, you can kind of see why I decided to um, simplify this, because every other word is just, it fills your brain too much. It's, it's too much. <laughs> um, so, yes, that is kind of just how he starts the letter. I think that's a pretty good way to start a letter, you know? Make sure everyone knows you're okay. Walton states that he is far north of London, and describes the way the breeze dances upon his cheeks, making him feel delight. You know that feeling when you feel invincible and endlessly grateful and happy all at once? Well, imagine that. That's what he was feeling. He asks if his sister understands what he's saying before going on to write about how this cold breeze is giving him a taste of how cold it's going to be once he gets to where he's journeying towards, which is a place we haven't found out yet because he hasn't actually like specified that, um, but we'll find out. He feels inspired by this, quote, wind of promise, and he says his daydreams have become fervent and vivid, meaning more passionate and powerful. Uh, This shows the lust that he feels for his own success towards whatever he is working for. Now, the way that I'm doing this is by reading um, the letter piece by piece and putting it into my own words and describing it, so I will use quotes if it seems fit. So, um, credit to Mary Shelley, you know, um, thank you. She's dead, though, but, like, yeah. Actually, I think it might be, I think it might be public, um, stuff, because Frankenstein was written over 100 years ago. That means that it's, like, not copyrighted, right? Okay, but still, shout out to Mary Shelley, because she wrote the book, and it's a pretty good book anyways, if you overlook, like, all the hard stuff in it anyways getting back into it um so the north pole the way it looks and the things it does may be unexplainable because these beautiful things are without a doubt a part of undiscovered places um at this time i don't think these places were discovered i think uh that is what i believe um okay now listen because this part this next part is probably going to be on tests um I know teachers like to ask questions about like symbolism, symbolism and stuff. Um, Next, he asks, what may not be expected in a country of eternal light? He's referring to the North Pole as a place of light and considering that it is uncharted at this time, I suppose, what may not be expected of it, meaning there are endless discoveries for humanity to make. And he's betting anything can and or will happen. The North Pole symbolized discovery and opportunity. In Frankenstein, light symbolizes knowledge, discovery, and enlightenment. The natural world is a place of dark secrets, hidden passages, and unknown mechanisms. The goal of the scientist is then to reach the light. Uh, you will understand that scientist part after like I explain a little more. Maybe we get further into the book. Um, um, this part is also important. Um, I'll use another quote directly from the book. He next says, I may there discover the wondrous power which attracts the needle and may regulate a thousand celestial observations that require only this voyage to render their seeming eccentricities consistent forever. Eccentricities. I said that wrong. I'm so sorry. Um, End quote. (laughs) He hoped to discover the secret of magnetism and, like, its ability to attract the compass needle. You know how the compass always leads you north? Like, because of magnets and stuff that's basically what he's talking about he's just saying it indirectly which is slightly annoying like just say what you want to say stop being confusing (laughs) walton wishes to satisfy his curiosity by seeing this new land that's never even been stepped upon by humans this is really all that he strives for just discovery he believes to fulfill these curiosities he would then conquer all fear of danger or death and it would push him to continue the voyage with, like, boyish laughter and happiness, like a child embarking on a small boat with his friends on a silly expedition up his local river. That is almost verbatim what he said in the book. He basically just said that, like, um, here, I'll quote it, actually. Uh, to commence this laborious voyage with the joy a child feels when he embarks in a little boat with his holiday mates on an expedition of discovery up his native river. So just like boyishly happy and childish, but like enthusiastic all at once. I think you you really, he, this is a lot of imagery. That's another thing that I like about Frankenstein there's so much imagery and I don't know how. They don't use many um, like actual adjectives or describing words. But like the vocabulary is intense, you know? It's like it makes me um, really envision the whole story in front of me. It's a good experience. I mean, I've literally read the book three times. So I might sound like the lamest person ever because I would... If you asked me, like, if I hadn't already read it and I was trying to read it for the first time, if you asked me what I thought, I would be like, this is boring. This is boring as, like, boring as heck. Jesus, I don't know. Walton goes on to write that he will give a lot of benefits to the next generations by revealing the secret of the magnet, and that that mystery can only be discovered by an undertaking such as his. The secret of the magnet is the reason why compasses show you the North. He wants to understand why the magnet gravitates toward that. He's, like, obsessed with that. He's brought that up three times already. Um, but he seems to think that his expedition is the only one that can solve that mystery. And, like, what he's doing is extremely important. And I suppose it is pretty important. But, yeah, he he definitely knows that it's important. Upon understanding this, Walton got so impatient, he decided to write the letter. Now, he feels enthusiastic and hopeful. By being given a purpose or a goal to meet, Walton is happy. Here is his exact quote. And I feel my heart glow with an enthusiasm which elevates me to heaven, for nothing contributes so much to tranquilize the mind as a steady purpose, a point on which the soul may fix its intellectual eye. There's a song that I have on my playlist called Abyss by Martin Against the World. I'll put it in my episode description, the link to it at least. And it begins by saying, by playing a quote from Abraham Twerksky. I Tversky, th- yeah, Twer-sky. <laughs> Um, He says, I believe that happiness is self-fulfillment. Upon reading this paragraph, I thought of this quote or song, I guess, both, you know, because happiness truly is self-fulfillment. And here, Walton is saying that. For nothing contributes so much to tranquilize the mind as a steady purpose, a point on which the soul may fix its intellectual eye. He needs somewhere to to channel, I guess, his intellectual eye, and he's doing that, and you know, that's great for him. So, uh, now he's basically gonna go into, like, his childhood and, like, why he's interested in all this stuff, which makes sense. Backstory. Important. So apparently voyaging was one of Walton's many dreams as a child. Um, Actually, it was kind of his only one. Um, Walton has dreamt of this since he was a child. He has vigorously read of other many, many other voyages, which have been made by arriving at the North Pacific Ocean through the seas that surround the pole. Uh, That was a mouthful. Um, I think it's a very specific kind of voyage that he's interested in. So he read mostly about that as a child. Um, he tells Margaret, his sister, of course, the person this letter is addressed to, that she may remember that a history of all of the voyages made for purposes of discovery were the only kind of books in their Uncle Thomas's library. So I guess, um, it's kind of just like, uh, passed down. I don't know. Uh, Walton's education was neglected, although he really liked to read So he read these books day and night, and his familiarity with them increased the regret, as he says, which he had felt as a child, after learning that his father's injunction had made his uncle believe it was unsafe to embark on a seafaring life. An injunction is when the court tells you to stop doing something, so just context clues? I might be wrong. I'm assuming his father had done something on the ocean? that he had been ordered to stop doing making his family believe that it was unsafe or an unfit job or just something about that that um because i'm not sure what his father's injunction would have to do with walton becoming a voyager or like a navigator <clears throat> excuse me a navigator but i guess he stopped feeling bad once he read for the first time um some poetry uh yeah he basically just says like the the guilt and the visions faded once he read really good poetry he says it entranced him and lifted him to heaven or lifted his soul to heaven actually walton then became a poet as well and for a whole year he lived in a paradise of his own creation i kind of like that quote because sometimes i feel like that's how i'm living um I don't know. I'm not sure how to explain it, but a while ago I would write a lot of poetry and looking back on it, I don't even remember who I was. Like I don't remember writing that at all. I can't imagine myself writing that now. I mean it's, it was pretty good. And I guess I was living in paradise of my own creation. Um, I guess he thought that he might become like a great and historical poet who goes down in history because Walton writes of imagining being like Homer or Shakespeare. So when he failed that he was extremely disappointed and upset he reminds margaret of this time and how she knew how upset he had been just around that time he inherited the money from his cousin and went back to being obsessed with the ocean and sea and voyages um he says i inherited the fortune of my cousin and my thoughts were turned into the channel of their earlier bent so just like his the obsession before poetry which was like seafare and blah 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 um he kind of just went back to thinking about that kind of stuff i don't know what the money had to do with that but i guess maybe it was just a diversion from the fact that he felt like a failure in the creative department um yeah suppose that's how it turned out for him six years have passed since walton decided to do what he's doing now which is an expedition to the north pole walton recalls the events before he made this huge decision he began his journey by getting stronger physically and mentally i suppose he went with whale fishers on a whole bunch of trips to the north sea he willingly went through cold famine thirst and fatigue and he worked much harder than the common sailors in the day and in the night he studied math and science um medicine and physical science so like educational wise he was pretty well-rounded um but i suppose uh socially not so much two times walton hired himself as an undermate in a greenland whaler i had to search that one up uh it's an expedition to greenland to kill or hunt whales it's basically just what it sounds like um he's a proud man and he knows it like he knows that he likes himself especially when his uh, Captain offered him the second highest dignity on the vessel, and told Walton he found him a valuable worker. That must have been a pride boost. Ego boost. Either one. Okay, now we get to the part where he's all self-deprecating and stuff, because, you know, can't have a character without that. It's Frankenstein. Uh, he wants to deserve a huge accomplishment. He's like, do I not deserve a huge accomplishment? He knows his life has been easy, but he... he would prefer the accomplishment rather than the money and the luxury and all the things that money can buy. And on top of that failure feeling, he's lonely. He needs someone to encourage him. I guess he doesn't really have that because he's always encouraging other people too. Of course, we know he thinks he's awesome, but I guess his hopes fluctuate. Walton says that his spirits are often depressed. He feels the pressure of this long trip because he knows that he has to lift other people up and also keep himself up, which is a hard thing to do. You know that, uh, the therapist of the friend group? I think he's kind of like that. Helping other people, but, um, kind of struggling to help himself, too. Walton says that around this time of year, Russia is not very cold. Well, it's cold, but not too excessively cold if you're wrapped in, in furs, which are, like, dresses that he's already gotten used to wearing. Um... And there's a big difference between walking on the deck and sitting on a boat for hours on end when there's no exercise to stop your blood from literally freezing inside your body. He says he doesn't really want to die on the trip between St. Petersburg and Archangel, which, you know, that's that's understandable. I wouldn't want to die either, especially not by freezing cold. Isn't that like one of the worst ways to die, like freezing or drowning? Okay, well, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's that's a thing, though. Walton's going to leave for Archangel in two or three weeks, and his intention is to hire a ship there, which he says is pretty easy, by paying the insurance and to get as many sailors as he can, or just the ones that he thinks he should have, at least, hopefully the ones that are um, accustomed to whale fishing, and he doesn't want to sail, or he doesn't think he's going to be sailing until the month of June, and he doesn't know when he will return. He starts saying with a bit of sorrow and regret that he's not sure when he'll be home to see his sister. And if he succeeds or survives, many, many months, perhaps years, will pass before they meet again. And if he fails, she will see him either soon or never again. So this is the end of the letter. He says goodbye lovingly and sends her love and blessings and everything like that. Um, it's also... S- so kind and sweet i love their relationship like as siblings and i i guess that's just how he ends a letter he's kind of like hey you know what i'm gonna go through a bunch of writing and make you read it all the way to the end just so i can tell you that i might die okay goodbye so that is the end of letter one and i'm going to begin letter two right now remember this episode is letter one through four which are all the letters by the way um next episode i'll actually start reading the book i mean i guess this is the book but um this is kind of just like context if you don't read this you will not understand the rest of the book or like you will but it'll some parts will be very confusing because it just won't make sense trust me you have to listen to this part first now the beginning of letter two he starts by walton remember uh robert walton um starts by addressing this letter to his sister, Margaret, and he tells her how slow the time passes, how he's surrounded by frost and snow, yet he continues to venture forwards. As he said he would, he hired a vessel, and now he's occupied, and he's still collecting sailors. Um, some of them already seem to be dependable and skillful, and certainly have a lot of courage. So, for now, he's feeling pretty good about this trip. But, understandably walton wants something that he has never been able to have in the absence of it is starting to feel like a personal jab in the throat to him like he feels this on a personal level he feels that it's like severe evil um he doesn't have any friends when he is happy with his success there will be no one to participate in his joy be happy with him clap him on the back have a drink with him and if he's disappointed, there will be no one to stick with him through hard times. No shoulder to cry on or anything. He's pretty upset about that. And, you know, understandably. I mean, he's been so focused on his studies and his goals and his dreams, which is not a bad thing at all. He's forgotten to make connections, relationships, have friends. That's a struggle. We need a good balance. For now, Walton will commit his thoughts to paper. But... That is a poor medium for the communication of feeling. That was a almost direct quote from the book. And I really feel what he says. He says, I shall commit my thoughts to paper. It is true. But that is a poor medium for the communication of feeling. End quote. Um, As a writer, that speaks to me. (laughs) He wants the company of someone who would sympathize with him. Who could look him in the eye and know exactly what he's thinking. Now, he says to his sister, you may think I'm looking for a lover, but I really just want a friend. He has no one close to him. No one with all of the qualities that he searches for, who is smart and courageous, gentle, similar to him, with same similar views, is something he points out. Someone who will, like, um encourage him on all of his endeavors. A friend who would repair his faults. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, he's lonely. <laughs> that sucks. He knows he is too impatient of difficulties and eager to execute and start ideas, but he still does consider it a greater evil that he is self-educated, at least for the 14 years of his life. He did not do any schoolwork, other than reading his Uncle Thomas's books of voyage. So he had to take matters into his own hands, and at that age, he started reading poetry. As we know, he has stated this before. But it was only when he had the means to take the words and derive its most important benefits, like really understanding it and taking it into context, putting it into the context of your own life, that he understood the necessity of learning more languages other than that of his native country, which I can see the benefits there. I mean, I wish I could speak another language. Um, I feel like that gate has kind of closed because um, I'm too old now. I mean, I'm 15. Like... It's hard to, to learn another language at that age. I just wish it was like a, a second language, you know? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure a lot of people can relate on that. Like, if you're, if you're mixed, especially because you want to be part of both cultures, but um, maybe you just regret not being in touch with one side of it. Um, something I can relate to. So, we're buddies now. <laughs> All right, so now Walter is 28 years old. Age drop, (laughs) and realistically, he is more illiterate than many 15-year-olds. His he has like thought more and his daydreams are more lucid, but those schoolboys want relationships, and they have relationship, friendships, anything. And Walton really needs a friend who would have enough sense to not think he's being romantic, but enough affection for Walton to stimulate his mind and make him think and have deep conversations with him. Just a give and take. That's kind of what Walter, uh, Walton needs. Sorry, I'm watching Breaking Bad right now. I, every time I'm trying to say Walton, I say Walter. Um, Breaking Bad's good, by the way. Um, I would suggest it if, you know, if your parents say okay. I think about now, um, Walton realizes how long he's just been whining because he's like, you know, these are just useless, useless complaints by this point. Anyways, obviously he's not going to find a friend on this ocean or even land because he only ever talks to merchants and seamen yet some feelings have a way of coming out in s- at some point um he gives um he he gives a, an example of his lieutenant i'm not exactly sure why he um references him but um his lieutenant is a man of courage and glory he is an englishman though i'm not sure why walton specifies that um and he says that his lieutenant is still retaining some of the noble endowments of humanity. I guess... I guess British people are a little bit more... mannered, I guess? I don't know. I don't know if that's where he was going with that, but that's kind of how I understood that. Maybe if I'm wrong, I don't know. (laughs) So now he's just going to talk about this guy. Um, So, apparently, Walton first became acquainted with him on board a whale vessel. And when he found out this guy didn't have a job, he immediately offered him one in this big plan that walton has you know the the one to the north Pole, where he needs a bunch of people for it um he just offered him that job i guess good 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 recruiting on his end okay so this guy is like a master and a good leader and basically walton just started gushing about him like literally gushing. There's whole huge paragraphs about how awesome this guy is, and he goes on to say, well actually to write that this guy is so amiable a nature that he will not hunt because he doesn't want to spill blood. And he is heroically generous. Um and for that for that claim he gives an instance of a story that I assume this guy, who is currently nameless, um had probably told him before. So years ago, this guy loved a young russian lady who didn't have much money and this russian lady's uh, father only approved of their relationship because um the guy had formerly received prize money so he had a lot of money on him so uh the, the father was like yeah you know what get married to my daughter so um so he saw his mistress once before they were about to get married she was crying and bowing at his feet and begging for him to spare her, and she confessed that the whole time she was in love with another man. But that man was poor, and that her father would never consent to them getting married. So, Walton's generous friend reassured the woman that it was okay. Although I'm sure he was pretty sad. <laughs> pretty upset, because he did say that, that he loved him. or er, her, sorry. He, he loved her. They loved each other. or so he thought. <laughs> um... So he had a farm that he was gonna spend the rest of his life on, like he wanted to basically die there, but he gave it to her and his um rival, as they put it, which is i'm I'm assuming the other man and um and he went to go talk to this lady's this Russian lady's dad, and he was like, yo, you know what can can they just get married like like it's fine, I'll go and then the dad's like, no, like." I feel bonded to you now, like, we're bound, you know, you guys gotta get married, I like you now, not changing my mind, and then he's like, well, so this guy, he's like, well, you know what, I'm skipping down, so he leaves until until the dad gives up and finally lets them get married, so, um, you might be thinking, he's such a noble fellow, but then again, he has passed his entire life on a boat, and he doesn't know much beyond that, so... Noble in some parts, but not so noble in others. Now, he's done telling the story, so Walton says for Margaret to not assume that he is taking back his plan to venture into the North Pole only because he's complaining. He says his plan is fixed as fate, that's exactly what he says, and the only reason that his voyage would ever be delayed is if the weather messes with things. The winter has been horrible, but the spring promises better, and it's considered to be coming earlier this year so perhaps walter would begin to sail sooner than he expected now he's not going to do anything rash he definitely makes a point of saying that um he says uh he's not going to do anything rash especially when other people's safety is under his care which is definitely a good quality to have you know um i would hope that of a leader like i would definitely hope if someone's leading me they wouldn't leave me into um Danger. Uh that Walt is trying to explain in simpler terms how he feels about this trip. And he thinks it's almost impossible to communicate to Margaret the trembling sensation, half pleasurable and half fearful, with which I am preparing to depart. That is what he said. This guy is going into unexplored areas of the globe, to the land of mist and snow. I think I would feel that way. I would feel that way too, like excited yet scared, like you've got this pit in your stomach and you can't tell whether you feel sick because you're happy or you feel sick because you're anxious. But he claims he won't harm a fly in the North Pole and he won't get hurt either, so Margaret should not be alarmed for his safety. He's very reassuring. He loves her so much. Wonderful sibling dynamic. He openly wonders if he will ever see his sister again and expresses his worry to Margaret. He doesn't want to dream of the success of living, yet he can't bear to think about the thought of dying. Walton orders her to write to him every day, even though the chance he receives them is slim, because it will cheer him up. And he closes by saying, "'Remember me with affection should you never hear from me again.'" Gets gets pretty pretty depressing around here. Like, at the end of every letter, he's like, "'You know, all of this, but I could die. See you later.'" So that was the letter um the end of letter two. And um so that was the end of letter two, and now I'm going to begin letter three, again addressed to Mrs. Saville. Saville Saville. I'm not exactly sure how to say that last name. And she's in England, of course. Um so Walton starts a letter like all the others, you know, assuring her he is at least alive. The letter will reach England by a merchantman who is on his way home. Walton is not so lucky, and he may not see his native land, or in other words, his home, for, ha- for perhaps years. He is, however, still in a good mood. The men that he hired are strong and bold, with courage in them. These are g- describing words he used. Um, Walton points out how the floating sheets of ice that passed him happened to not scare the men away, although... The ice really shows the danger of the North Pole. They're not afraid. He chose good henchmen. Give him that much. The crew has already reached a high latitude, but the summer winds, which aren't very warm compared to England, considering he's, like, close to the North Pole, um, those summer winds blow them quickly towards the North Pole, the place that Wilton so desperately wants to reach. He wrote that no accidents have happened lately, at least not any that are worth putting in the letter. Certain things, like the breaking of a mast, etc., are things that our experienced sailors don't consider to be bad accidents, and Walton would be glad if that is the extent of the accidents for the crew. Walton says goodbye and that he will not rush into danger. He will be calm and cautious. He also mentions, in a way, that Margaret should mention um, him and speak fondly of him to his friends back in England. Uh, the, The direct quote is, Remember me to all my English friends. Can I just, you know, remind them I'm alive. Um, yeah, that was actually the end of letter three. Pretty short. I mean, he did say at the beginning, I write a few lines in haste to say that I am safe. So, of course, this is just like a passing time thing, you know, or maybe not passing time thing. Maybe he was in a crunch of time. Because as we can tell, this guy likes to write. Some of these letters are like five pages long. I'm just condensing them to make it like, less of a read um or I guess a listen in your case but um yeah he likes to write like geez he I considering he has so much time maybe I would take this up too maybe I would start writing letters to people random people maybe my siblings I wonder if I were to write a letter if I was really far away would I write one individual one to everyone I know or just one to my whole family i feel like one to my home family whole family makes more sense but what if i only want to tell a piece of information to one person like what if i have like some juicy gossip and i only want to tell my mom or like my sister even though my sister's six but think of my sister as older like if i wanted to tell her something i would have to tell the whole family too so maybe i would oh i would write one big one for like everyone and then individual ones for the other one so then i would have to write three notes yeah I'm, i'm glad i figured that out what would you do how would you do that would you even write a note what would your note say tell me i'd like to hear and now the beginning of letter four probably one of the longer ones um it's also the last one so bear with me here um Obviously, to his sister, as usual, who else does he have to write to? Alright, now it's August, and Walton begins the letter a bit differently this time. He says there has been a strange accident, and he can't refrain from telling it to Margaret, even though they will probably reunite before the letters get to her. Last Monday, the boat was nearly surrounded by ice on all sides, leaving little sea room to float. The situation was pretty dangerous, especially because they were also surrounded by a thick fog. They stuck to the route, just hoping that there would be a change in the weather. At about two o'clock, the mist went away, and as they saw, endlessly and vast around them were irregular planes of ice. So just like, I guess, random pieces of ice all around them. The crew groaned and complained, but Walton himself was staying alert and kind of anxious, too, when he saw something strange. It attracted all attention and switched the mood to curiosity. They saw a short carriage, which basically means a sled, um, being pulled by dogs in the distance. A seemingly huge man sat in the sled and steered the dogs. Bit of foreshadowing here. Um, you might come to learn that Frankenstein is a story within a story. I think it's called a framed story. I learned about that in English. Um, so this story all comes back around to another story being told, and it's like a story within a story. Um have you seen, or have you read, I mean, have you read The Seven, Husba- the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo? Because, first off, so good. Second, um, that's a story within a story. Like how Evelyn was telling Monique the story. And that was also the story, if that makes sense. Um, so, yes. Um, huge man in a sled being steered by dogs. Um, they watched the traveler move further with their telescopes until he was no longer distinguishable amongst the snow and ice. This event excited the men. Uh, they were, as they thought, hundreds of miles from any land, but this occurrence showed them some sign of civilization, and maybe they weren't as far as they thought. So, another reference to, I guess, pop culture, um, there's this TV show, um, called Atypical on Netflix, and... They talk about how when you go to the North Pole or somewhere with only white, like Antarctica, completely white, um, your mind doesn't use its imagination, I guess, after a while. It doesn't use that. It's not stimulated like that. So um, they have to do like mind puzzles and games and things to keep their, I think it was the hippocampus. They have to keep that part running. Um, Otherwise, it will just not be the same anymore. So this was probably really good for them. You know, something other than just staring out into white, just sitting on the boat freezing to death. Um this probably gave them something to talk about. You know, like um when girls go to an all-girls school and they see a boy, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyways, the ship was trapped in by ice. And even though they all watched the man go, and they know exactly where his tracks were, they couldn't follow him, because the ship couldn't move. Two hours later, the ice broke. They decided not to move the ship, however, because they could still run into ice. Like, ice shards. Kind of like in the Titanic, but it's not an iceberg, it's like an ice shard, it could still break their ship. Um, Walton took this time to rest. Took advantage of this, uh free time even though he has plenty of free time but i'm sure he's captaining during the rest of the time he is like the main guy in this group so maybe he doesn't have as much time to rest in the morning however as soon as the sun rose walton went up in the deck and saw all of his men clumped together on one side of the vessel they were talking to someone in the sea it was actually a sled like they had seen before but this time there was a human inside it and the sailors were all trying to get him to come aboard also note, only one dog remained alive. He was not the same person he had seen earlier, though. Walton came to notice this. He wasn't strange or huge. He was just a European. When Walton came further into the deck, the master said, like the new, the lieutenant guy that he was gushing about, he said, here is our captain, and he will not allow you to perish on the open sea. Basically, Walton wouldn't want him to die in the ocean, which I'm sure is true. Um... So when this man saw Walton, he said something that was in English, but with a strange foreign accent. He said that before he would come aboard, he wanted to know where they were headed. Now, you may understand the surprise that Walton, Walton felt when a, a just a random guy who's about to die asked that question. Someone who you um you would expect, you would think the ship would have been a resource that he wouldn't have given up for any amount of money or wealth because you know this is his gateway to surviving that dying in the open ocean um but such a strange question to ask like does it matter where we're headed we are trying to um save you but either way walton told him they were bound for the north pole he seemed satisfied enough and came up on the ship and oh my god he was in the worst state ever. His limbs were nearly frozen and his body was emaciated, which means unusually thin or weak. Walton has never seen a man in such bad conditions. The crew attempted to carry him into a cabin, but the second he wasn't in the fresh air, he fainted. So they brought him back out, because, you know, logic. They brought him back out on the deck and rubbed him with alcohol. Brandy, specifically. They even made him drink a little bit. As soon as they knew he wasn't dead... They wrapped him in blankets and put him by the chimney of the kitchen stove. Over the day, he recovered more and ate some soup, which restored his health by a lot. Two days passed like this before he was even able to speak. Walton often feared that his injuries and suffering would make him unable to understand things, like maybe he had a head injury. Once he was more recovered, the man that is, strange man, we don't know his name at all, um, Walton moved him to his own cabin so he could take care of him. Walton was in awe of this man, how he is filled with wildness, but the moment someone does something kind, even in the slightest, he will light up. But other than that, he is usually melancholy and despairing, and he grinds his teeth like he's just waiting for something bad to happen. When the guest was a bit better, Walton had a hard time keeping the crew away from him. They wanted to ask all sorts of questions, but Walton wouldn't let them. But once, the lieutenant asked why he had come so far on the ice, in such a strange vehicle. The man responded sadly. He said to seek one who fled from me. That's what he said. And the lieutenant asked, did the man whom you pursued travel in the same fashion? The response was yes. Then, I think we've seen him, because the day before you got here, we saw some man on a sled with dogs. Remember before, this was like the first sign of life that they had seen in the whole deserted plain of ice um and they were all very interested so there was two different sleds um he was this strange man that is now on their ship is um the second one so he was trying to catch that other guy that that's what we've come to so the stranger perked up at that comment and he asked a bunch of questions about the demon he called the man the demon for some reason um you might actually need to know this because of the spelling, but since it's, like, Old English or something, it's, I think it might be actually pronounced Damon. D- Damon? Demon? I don't know. It has a kind of, um, A and E mixed together thing. I Soon after, when the stranger was alone with Walton, he says, I bet I'm making you curious, but you're too nice to throw me with questions. And Walton says, yeah, I guess. I mean, it'd be pretty rude of me to bother you with questions. The stranger replies with, But still, you rescued me from a strange situation, and you helped me live. Then the stranger asked if Walton thought that the ice breaking caused the other sled to be destroyed. Walton couldn't know the answer to that for sure, because the ice didn't break until long after they saw the other sled, so the man could have been safe before the ice broke. So he didn't really know how to give a sure answer of that. Um, Ever since then, ever since he asked that question, the stranger seemed eager to be out on the deck to watch for the other sled. But Walton has uh, convinced him to stay inside because he's too weak to sustain the rawness of the atmosphere, which just means the cold air. So he wants to keep him, you know, healthy, but he's trying to persevere through the cold air so that he can see the other sled. But Walton promised That, if he stayed inside, he would have someone watch and give instant notice if they saw anything. The stranger is quiet and nervous when anyone but Walton enters his cabin. Yet, he is gentle-mannered, and all his sailors are interested in him. But Walton loves him like a brother now, and the stranger's grief fills him with sympathy. He must have been a noble creature in his better days, Walton thinks. He writes, actually. I mean... The majority of this is his inner thought. There's very little dialogue in these letters. Um, considering that when you're writing like a note or a diary entry, you don't actually write the quotations. You just write what was said, kind of, if that makes sense. You know, you know what I mean, yeah. Um, so like, he doesn't really say it. He's thinking the majority of this. Or writing, might I say. Um, so Walton writes that he remembers mentioning... He had no friends. Really, he remembers mentioning. He more than mentioned it. But now he has found a man who's like a brother. He kind of ends the, the letter there. Um, actually, not the whole letter. He, he wrote this letter in segments. Like, he wrote one day, then he wrote a couple days later, and a couple days later, and blah, 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 like, and so on. So he says he'll record if any other strange incidents happen. And that is... Um, the end of that segment of the letter. About two weeks later, he continues writing the letter and says every day he likes his guest more and more. And the guest likes that. How can Walton see such a smart man be destroyed by misery without feeling such an extreme empathy towards him? He's gentle yet wise. His mind is cultivated. And when he talks, he talks fast. But it's still calculated and elegant. So easy to understand, but beautiful words. And that takes skill, you know, like talking fast, but still, still thought about he, the way Walton says it is, um, quote, his words are cold with the choicest art, yet they flow with rapidity and unparalleled eloquence, end quote. If you notice a pattern here, Walton really likes to gush about men, maybe because it's just, maybe it's just because he's lonely, but yeah, the majority of his letters is just like gushing about some guy he has now recovered a lot from the illness his uh, the man that is the stranger um and he is still on the deck waiting for the other sled although he is unhappy he is not completely occupied by his sadness instead he feels his time learning about others he asks walton many questions about himself and walton has answered truthfully about the little history he has the stranger was pleased with the confidence and suggested new ideas to the plan. The plan meaning um, his plan to go to the North Pole and make discoveries and all of this blah 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 um, voyages. Uh, And Walton found them very useful. There is no obsessiveness in the man's manner, but the things he does seem to come from the interest he takes in those around him. He is often overcome with gloom, and he sits alone trying to overcome the sorrow. These moments go through him like a cloud through the sun that's that's actually exactly what um walton writes i forgot to quote that um he says these moments go through him like a cloud through the sun so just like shadowing over the brightness ruins your day kind of thing um and just as quickly you know bounces back because you know when the sun is, like, right in your eyes and a cloud passes it. And you're like, oh my god, finally, my eyes don't have to suffer. And then the cloud goes all the way past and it's right in your eyes again. It's it's like that. Um, Walton has tried to win his liking. And he thinks he has done that, actually. One day, Walton mentioned to him, the man, about his desire for a good friend. Walton says he did not belong to the group of men who get offended from advice he says quote i am self-educated and perhaps i hardly rely sufficiently upon my own powers i wish therefore that my companion should be wiser and more experienced than myself to confirm and support me nor have i believed it impossible to find a true friend the stranger agreed with him and says that believing in friendship is not only a thing many people want but it is very possible he once had a friend, the most noble of human creatures, he says. And he feels entitled that he's a good judge regarding friendship. You have hope, and the world is your oyster, basically is what he says. And you have no cause for despair. The man says, but I have lost everything and cannot get a fresh start. So, yeah, he does obviously have reason for being as depressed as he is. Um, So does everyone, but like. I guess we're starting to see why he is the way he is. When he said this, his posture became a sad, calm grief that made Walton sad too. But the man was quiet and just went back to his cabin. Even when he is sad, nobody understands the beauty of nature more than this man does. The sky, the sea, and every sight that they have seen on the trip seem to have a great power over his soul walton writes that such a man has a double existence and he may suffer misery and overcome disappointments but when he's alone he will be like a quote celestial spirit that has a halo around him within whose circle no grief or folly ventures walton says that margaret must be laughing at him for his gushing if she is laugh if if she, <laughs> if she is laughing she must have lost that simplicity that she used to have in her character I think that was supposed to be, like, a jab at her. (laughs) Um, yet, if Margaret will smile at the way he talks about his friend while he finds every day another cause to repeat the expressions, he'd be happy. So he ends it there and writes again a couple days later. Um, now this is coming towards the end of the, um, actual entire letter. Um, he says, Yesterday the stranger said to Walton, um... Uh, Okay, so this is going to be a really long quote, but I think it's easier to say what he really said. Um, I guess I'll read it slowly. Um, He says, You may easily perceive, Captain Walton, that I have suffered great and unparalleled misfortunes. I had determined, once, that the memory of these evils should die with me. But you have won me to alter my determination. You seek for knowledge and wisdom, as I once did and I ardently hope that the gratification of your wishes may not be a serpent to sting you as mine has been. I do not know that the relation of my misfortunes will be useful to you, yet if you are inclined, listen to my tale. I believe that the strange incidents connected with it will afford a view of nature, which may enlarge your faculties and understanding. You will hear of powers and occurrences such as you have been accustomed to, believe impossible, but I do not doubt that my tale conveys in its series internal evidence of the truth of the events of which it is composed. Okay. Okay, that was a mouthful. I think it might have been a bad idea for me to read that, but, um, because I could have just made it a lot simpler. Even me reading that, I don't think I absorbed any of it, but already knowing what it was about, I can just recap. So he's like, you know what? You know, I'm sad. Um, and we're good friends, you know, and I kind of want to help you out. And I also want to talk to someone, so uh, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you why. I'm sad. Um, I'll just tell you my story, my tales. Um, yeah, and uh, I don't think this is going to um, be a bad thing. This will be a good thing. So he's convincing him that he wants to like tell him his story, his life story, basically. Anyways, it may be easy for you to think that Walton was very gratified by this offer, but walton doesn't think he could endure knowing why this man was so sad walton was eager to hear it out of curiosity and also a desire to know his fate so he's kind of torn he's like well like he knows this guy so well by now but like he also doesn't know him at all he knows him from looking at him and like short conversations with him he knows his personality but he doesn't know his past and I'm sure your past doesn't make who you are. And he sure does know him, but he doesn't know him that deeply on that level. And obviously he has such an extreme empathy for him. Hearing this um, foreboding, like, sorrowful story um, might hurt him too. So he doesn't want to hear it. But also he's very, very curious, as anyone would be. And he he wants to know. So, guess what he went with. Um, He then said that he would tell Walton. The man said that he would tell Walton the story whenever Walton wanted to, the next day. The promise made Walton thank him. Walton is now trying to record what the man says every night after he tells him the tales. If he's going to listen, at least he will take notes. The manuscript will hopefully bring Margaret pleasure to read. But for Walton who knows the man and has to hear it from his own lips he will just read it in the future so like he's gonna write it all down send it to margaret um but he's not really gonna read it back he knows the story already it's basically what he's saying and then that's how he ends the letter um he doesn't sign off that's actually pretty weird he doesn't sign off from it um but yeah that's how he ends it so everyone thank you for listening if you've made it this far that was letter one through four of frankenstein mary shelley 1818 text um or in other words it's it's also called the modern prometheus um yeah thank you for listening i hope it was helpful give me feedback um follow me on all my social medias i'll put updates um i do try to stick to my uh schedule but it's pretty hard considering that this took me this took me so long to um translate into like simpler sentences um and imagine doing the book you know so i think the easiest way to do this is i will definitely post on my social medias when i will be uh, putting up new episodes so may not be may not be weekly um actually these episodes might not be weekly but my homeschooled episodes might be weekly because I do have a couple more topics in mind for that. Um, so yeah, just, you know, stay on the lookout. Um, I'll be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to homeschooled weirdos. This was my, uh, notes for nerds episode.